Tonight's Bible reading comes from John chapter 7, verses 25 to 39. Um, You can find it on page 867 of the Bibles in the pews. Um, So far in chapter 7, Jesus has gone to the Festival of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, and he's been teaching the crowd and the leaders in the temple. So John chapter 7, starting at verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him. But I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he met the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Thank you, Hannah. Hello again, everybody. Please do have God's word open in front of you. Uh, the one that Hannah had read. We're going to be looking at all of John chapter 7, but our particular focus is going to be on the verses that, that we had read then from 25 through to, through to the end. I'm going to pray as together we approach God's word. Our good and our faithful God, our gracious God, we thank you for your word. Father, we ask that in this moment you help us to deeply understand what it means that Jesus is inviting us to. Whether we stand in relation to him, we ask that, Spirit, you're at work. And God, we ask that my words are yours uh, and that what we explore will be to your glory and the growth of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a Nepalese boy by the name of Tiba Tamang. He's 17. He lives in Kathmandu. He goes on his usual business out to a building. It's April. An 8.1 magnitude earthquake rocks the city. Now, I've been in a smallish earthquake, and it is terrifying. Eight magnitude earthquake is, would be immense. The building around him collapses. Many of the people tragically die around him. He finds himself entombed between two slabs of concrete. Somehow, miraculously, uh, he survives, but he is deep in the rubble. You picture yourself in that situation for a moment. Deep in the rubble. He has no real food. He has no water. 
He's in there for five days. He has a, one thing with him which is ghee, which is if you, I don't know what it was. It's a type of purified butter. He used this to keep himself alive. But he was saying that the air grew staler and staler. And as it grew staler and staler, his mouth became drier and drier. Like his thirst was literally painful. Can you imagine that kind of painful thirst? Now the rescuers eventually find him after five days. They do their amazing work. They rescue him. And you can imagine, what do you reckon the first thing is that they do for this man after they bring him out, of, of course, is they hydrate him. Uh, they, they give him an IV drip, pump him full of fluids and water and give him a drink. Now you imagine for yourself in that moment to literally drink that water. Cool, refreshing, chilled water as it kind of flows into your mouth down your throat. Like your thirst would be quenched in the most incredible way. Imagine that thirst being quenched. Jesus is going to talk about that kind of uh, thirst that we have, but then take it to a whole new level. Uh, in the passage which we had read, Jesus, he, he appeals to that kind of phys- physical thirst that we feel, but he talks about it in the sense of our holistic being, our inner self, like our soul, and that Jesus is going to come and bring life. Now, we're entering back into this series, uh, Light and Life. And we're in chapter 7, we explored chapters 1 through to 6 last year. And to kind of summarize what's going on so far, is that Jesus has come into the world to bring light and to bring life because he is the light. He says, I am the light. We're going to look at that next week with Lachlan. And the fact that he is life. But that has caused mixed responses. Not everybody is really happy about this. Some people are loving it. Some people are hating on him. Uh, It's caused a lot of different responses. But that really comes to a kind of a head. The tension really builds when you get to these chapters, chapters 7 and 8. They call these chapters the dispute chapters, the division chapters. Very much about how the people are responding to Jesus. What we're going to see is what these responses are, but then in particular what Jesus' response is to them. uh, What Jesus uh, is going to say to them. Because Jesus is on a mission. John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Continues on, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is on that mission. That's the mission he is on. Now, we dumped ourselves into the middle of chapter 7. So let me kind of paint the literal scene that is going on here. Uh, Hannah kind of alluded to it. And the fact that Jesus is on his way to, sorry, he's in Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem at the time, there's a big festival, a big kind of week-long party uh, called the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, there's a lot that goes on there. To give the kind of the highlights, uh, it's a celebration of God's provision to them. Provision in terms of the harvest, the grapes and olives, and they're celebrating the rain has fallen and their crops have, have grown and been harvested. But also tabernacle, if you remember back to the Old Testament, the wandering around the desert and they have the tabernacle where God, that's his presence, where his presence is and also he provides for his people. So they're coming as a celebration of that fact. But it's in Jerusalem. To be in Jerusalem is the center of Jewish society. And in the center of Jewish society and the systems of power and the religious leaders, all that, they're out to kill him. Uh, It's told us that back in chapter 5. But Jesus goes into the celebratory but potentially hostile 
seen. Jesus has been doing miracles. He's been doing um, healings. But here it's about his teaching. He's going to teach them some things. But the way that John has recorded it is not so much the content of the teaching that is going on, but very much the responses to the teaching. Kind of the, the how of what Jesus is saying, why he's saying it. And then that is responded to. Because the central aspect that Jesus is saying is that I'm the one who is sent from God. I've been sent from God. Only I know him. I am his perfect representation. I've been sent from him to you for this mission. And the first words we get as Jesus uh, from uh, the Gospel of John about Jesus in the festival is this, from verse 16. He says, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Now we know from previously in the, the book, the one who sent him is God. So he's talking about God, uh, the Father. And again and again, Jesus uses this language of being sent. God who sent me, God who sent me. Go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he sent. It's all throughout John. And that is a particular focus here. And it causes a stir. It confuses them. Because they're like, but Jesus, we know where you're from. You're from Galilee. Like, you, you know, you're just from like Lithgow or something. Like, you're not that far away. But you're here. You surely can't be a Messiah. And so they're confused. And when Jesus, uh, he responds in this way, from verse 28. Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not from here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Like you imagine being the Jews at that point, the religious leaders, the center of Jewish society, hearing that. That is cutting to them. You don't know him, is what Jesus says. The most religious. Now that's a big claim. And that causes big problems. Now, the big problem really is centered on Jesus' identity, who Jesus is. Can you trust him? Can you trust Jesus? Is he really, does he really have the authority and identity that he claims? Now, that's the questions that they had. That's still the questions that we have today. That's still the questions maybe you have, your friends, your family has. Can we trust Jesus? Is he true? Is he worth it? Should I submit to his authority? Should I trust in his identity? Throughout the chapter, you get whole gamuts of ways they talk about him. You get things like he's a good man. Some people say he deceives people. Others say he's demon-possessed. Then you get more extreme in verses 30 and 31. Jesus says those things we just read, and they want to seize him. They want to seize him because they want to kill him. They want to well, take him out or something. Get rid of him. But then on the very flip side, the next verse is, still many in the crowd believed him. People looking at Jesus, following him, and believing, believing, having faith. And yet you get an even more extreme thing again with the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders who are meant to be looking for the Messiah, meant to be noticing, yeah, sure, this is the man, this is who God has sent. What do they say, verse 32? They're hearing the whispers of the crowd, some believing, some deceived, uh, some thinking he's demon-possessed. And they say uh, they want to get the temple guards uh, and arrest Jesus. Uh, they're out to kill him. See, the tensions are very high. Maybe you feel those tensions in your life about who Jesus is, people following him, people not following him, the tensions within yourself. 
The overall narrative is showing there is division. It's dispute, people who believe, people who don't, everything in between. Now let me ask, where it is that you stand? Where do you stand before Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Maybe you're like some of these um, Jews and you have questions. Questions about his authority. Questions about his identity. Maybe there's something about Jesus that you've just, oh, I've dismissed him. He's done something or the church has done something. I'm, I'm done. I don't necessarily hate him, but I'm done with him. I've dismissed him. Perhaps you're investigating. Perhaps you're like some of these people, they're just amazed. They're maybe not following, but they're amazed, they're intrigued. Maybe you believe him. You're wanting to follow him and know more. There are so many places that we can be. Where is it that you stand? But what this passage is saying is that no matter where you stand, no matter if you're hating him or loving him or somewhere in between, that Jesus responds in the same way in this passage. Jesus responds with a hand of invitation, a very open hand of invitation to a divided crowd, the followers and the haters. He stands up and he cries out in a loud voice from verse 37, the open-handed invitation. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, living, rivers of living water will flow from within them. If anyone is thirsty, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers, not streams, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now that is a beautiful, that's a rich, but it's also quite a bit of an ambiguous statement in some ways. Like I can imagine some of the crowd going, man, Jesus, that sounds good. I kind of like the idea of that. Like, could it be true? But also, what are you talking about? And that's the kind of questions that we can have too. So I want to explore these verses in particular, this invitation uh, of Jesus. Because the way that Jesus is betrayed in the Gospel of John is that Jesus is the giver of life. He's giving and offering life. Eternal life? Yes. Amen. 100%. But also life in the present. Life for now. Life for today. Life for Wednesday afternoon. So we'll dive into the three sections uh, of Jesus' invitation. What does it mean to thirst? How can I come and drink? And what does it mean to have these rivers of living water flow from within a person? The first one of the invitation is anyone who thirsts. Anyone who thirsts. Now, by this point, you should be hearing that anyone in this context is anyone. Those that hate, those that are indifferent, and those that love. The invitation is for them. It's open to the enemies and to the friends. It's an invitation for you. It's an invitation for me. Now, there's three things that we can also understand about what it means to thirst. What does it mean to thirst? What we see is that thirst is the only requirement for this invitation. It's not works. It's not a set of rules. It's not jumping through a set of hoops. It's to know, yes, I need Jesus. I'm thirsting for him. And then to turn and to find it in him. And that means that what Jesus is offering is free. Free to us. It's going to cost him greatly. But it's free. It's a gift. It's a gracious gift. That's the first thing. The second thing is that our soul, our, like our inner being, has a thirst. 
The human soul has a thirst. There's a quote by John Piper which I think sums it really well. He says this, When you go without water, your body gets thirsty. When you go without God, your soul gets thirsty. Your body is made to live on water for sure. And your soul, your inner being, your your whole person is made to live on God. That is such an important thing to know about you. You are not just flesh and bones and heart and a brain. You are definitely those things. But we are also spiritual beings. We have a soul. And God is immensely concerned with both those things. And it's not to separate the two. It's not like we're one part soul, one part physical. They're so perfectly intertwined. We are embodied beings. It's not an accident that you're born. It's not an accident that you were made. And just as your body thirsts for water, so your soul and mind thirsts for God. That brings us to the third thing, that what Jesus offers quenches that thirst. Might be stating the obvious a little bit, but what Jesus offers is going to quench that thirst. To perhaps help remind you of this, this is a practice I started this week, is that you need to drink water, right? You literally need to drink water. So when you drink water, remind yourself, my body needs to drink. My soul is thirsty for God. So take a drink. It's actually really good. As my body thirsts for water, so my soul thirsts for God. So to summarize, the water's free, our souls have a thirst, and Jesus can satisfy that thirst. That brings us to the second element of what Jesus has in his invitation, to come and to drink. What does that mean, to come and to drink? I'll offer some observations. The first one, again, to paint the obvious, but I think really important, is that we drink Jesus. It's not just something he gives, although he gives it. He gives himself. And it's not something else. Uh, It's not we go find this thing within ourselves or from somewhere else. No, the the water, the the satisfying refreshment, the fulfillment comes from Christ himself. Give an example from actual drinking. So I um, play soccer uh, for Peaky United. And after the game, a classic, it's, it's pretty much a ritual of the lads, is you grow up a big thirst. If you've been praying, playing properly, right, you get thirsty. Their first response is always to go and smash a beer, right? That's what they do. Uh, they love it, that's, that's cool. But beer doesn't hydrate them, right? Like, sure, it quenches their thirst to a degree, but it doesn't actually hydrate them. It feels like it does, but what they really need is water. And in the same way, we can go to other things to quench our thirst, to quench the thirst of our souls. Perhaps they'll feel good. Perhaps for a moment, they will quench it. But it's not actually what our soul needs. Our souls need Jesus. The second thing about what it means to come and drink uh, of Jesus is that this is not a one-off experience. It's not one-off. Yes, uh, to come and drink of Jesus, to look on him and to, and to live is true. That's how you, you come into faith. That's a moment. Yes, that is the moment of salvation. But Jesus is talking more than that. He's talking about life. There's a quote from another guy named A.W. Tozer. Uh, he's a teacher and a pastor, sorry, an author and a pastor from the mid to early 
1900s. So it's written a long, t- well, almost 100 years ago, but its quote is just as relevant today as it was then. It says, We can make everything to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ, a term incidentally not found in the Bible, and we are not expected, therefore, to crave any further revelation of God to ourselves. We have been snared in the coils of a spurious logic that has insisted if we have found him, we need no more seek him. Friends, Jesus is calling us. He's calling us to pursue God, to experience more. To delight in him, that our souls will be fulfilled, that our souls will be satisfied. And this is not just about the moment of salvation. Yes, we are saved, we, we come to him, but this is about our life. So let me just say that when you come to church, when you go to home group, when you engage in God's word, all these kind of things, it is not only about having the right ideas. Yes, they're true, that's necessary. But we're invited to experience God. To kind of mix the metaphors a little bit from drinking to eating. You think about eating food for a moment. Cooking. You want to cook dinner. Now, cooking is a little bit silly if you don't eat it. Or if someone doesn't eat it. If you're going to have dinner, either you need to cook it, your mum and dad needs to cook it for you, or need to order it in, right? When we cook, the purpose is eating. If we didn't eat, it would be ridiculous. In the same way, when we engage with God, with his word, faithfully, in the world of ideas, that is good, necessary. 100% we need to do that. But don't stop there. Continue to invest in relationship with God, to enjoy him. The purpose of cooking is sustenance and pleasure. The purpose of engaging with Jesus is sustenance and joy to then propel us into the mission that he's sent us on. To summarize, coming to Jesus and drinking is that we come to Jesus, he is the one that we drink, and it's not a one-off experience. We continue uh, to drink of him as he sends us out. The third part of the invitation that is for all of us, is that it says scripture, scripture says rivers of living water is going to flow from within you, from within those that drink. Now to actually understand what's going on here, we do need to get, go into the world of ideas and look at verse 39, which says, by this he meant the spirit uh, to whom the ones who believe were later to receive after Jesus being glorified. Basically after Jesus has died on the cross, risen again, that's his glorification moment. After that, the Holy Spirit uh, is given. And so what Jesus is talking about here is an experience of the Holy Spirit being in a person. To do a little bit of, you know, crazy theology in a sense. Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit are one. So to have the Spirit is as if you have Jesus. To have the Holy Spirit within you is to have the Spirit of Christ. You see that language in Acts. Now to have the Holy Spirit in you means you've got the river maker. You have the river maker within you, literally, abundantly, continually flowing rivers, intimate relationship with God, satisfaction, fulfillment, they flow. You imagine being at like a, a river, that is, a freshwater stream that's flowing. And you go there, you want to drink some of that water. You have to cup your hands and you, you drink it or you dip your, your bottle in and you drink it. Beautiful, satisfactory, quenches your thirst. You can never exhaust it. You can never exhaust it. Always there, always abundant and unending. 
This is what God gives his people, abundant satisfaction for your soul, which completely transforms. You don't actually have to search again. You will need a drink, but you don't have to search again. Because we can choose not to. We can choose not to turn and embrace Jesus and find life. All of us have thirsty souls. All of us. So it's not a question of whether or not we're quenching our thirst. The question is where? Where are we quenching our thirst? Where are we trying to seek satisfaction for our souls? Because we're all looking for something deep within us, looking for significance, looking for worth, looking for affirmation, looking for purpose, things that are within, deep within us. And we can be going to places that are dry. We can be going to places and trying to drink, but then we just keep feeling thirsty. The power and the promise of what Jesus is inviting us to, offering us, is that he quenches our thirst when we continually come to him. Wells of living water flow from within us. And inside of you, if you are a Christian, you're a believer, then the Holy Spirit is within you. So don't keep going back to the broken systems. Don't go back to the broken ways of finding fulfillment. Sometimes these are the systems of people who aren't really meant to fill our souls. Sometimes it's looking for significance in the season of our life or in our job or whatever it may be, and we don't find it. Sometimes we numb ourselves with entertainment or distraction, and yet we don't feel rested. But instead, as Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So friends, if your soul is thirsty, come to Jesus. He is inviting you. He's inviting you to come to him, to provide satisfaction, fulfillment to your souls, to transform your life. That's what Jesus is about, and that's what we're about, seeing lives transformed through Jesus to the glory of God. And the invitation is for everyone, me, us, our neighbors, everyone to come and to continue to drink. And it's no secret what that means. We don't hold a secret to what that looks like to come and drink. It is, fine. it is coming to God in his word, in prayer, gathering with his people, this moment, continuing in your home groups, one-to-one, Bible reading, prayer, the life of spiritual rhythms. Now, in a sense, we talk about those things often, but that, that is the rhythms of faith. There's engaging with God. He meets us there. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, uh, it's wonderful that you're here. You want to investigate him and chat with the person who brought you if or with a person next to you, you want to chat with one of the pastors and ask, we'd love to take you through what it looks like to know Jesus, to explore him, to investigate who he is. And if you are a Christian, you've tasted Christ. He's quenched your thirst at some point. Continue to go back to him. Continue to pursue him. To kind of continue on a quote from Tozer, it's a few pages later. But he says this, our spiritual birth, like, you know, becoming a Christian, is not an end, but an inception. For now begins the glorious pursuit, the heart's happy exploration of the infinite riches of the Godhead. To have found God and yet pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. So friends, continue to pursue God. Jesus is the one who brings life, who brings life to the full. 
can I encourage you perhaps to set a goal? Uh, set a goal. Now, I was saying before, when you drink water, remember, so my, fo- my body thirsts for water, so my soul thirsts for God. I was told the other day that you need three liters of water to be hydrated. I thought that was insane. I thought two was a lot. Now it's three. Maybe it's three is a lot of water. So maybe think of three things. Three things, three rhythms uh, that you can build into your life, consolidated in your life to experience your relationship with God. Perhaps it is starting a Bible reading plan. Perhaps it's just praying relationally with God, being in his presence, being silent with him at a point. Maybe it's reading a section of a book. I was reading Tozer this week. Now, if you want suggestions for a book, my encouragement to you is go to your bookshelf and I bet you there's a book there that you bought once and you're like, I'm going to read that and then haven't read it yet. Pick it up, read it. Read a section of it. Read, I'm going to read a chapter a week, a, 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 ver, a page a day, whatever it may be. Set a goal which is helpful for you. Read a psalm. Pray the psalm. Put a verse on your bathroom door. Put one up a day. Put one up every week. Change it once a month. Whatever's going to be helpful for you. Meditate on that. Set some goals. Set some goals which are going to be helpful for you to continue to come and drink Jesus. Doesn't have to be bigger, bigger than Ben-Hur. So my brothers and sisters, friends who don't follow Jesus, hear the words of Jesus. Calling out to a divided crowd. Ones that love him, ones who are indifferent, ones that hate him. And he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Let me pray. I'm going to pray a prayer from, this is the the book of Tozer, and then continue on. Oh God, we have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied us and made us thirsty for more. I'm painfully con- we are painfully conscious of our need for further grace. We are ashamed of our lack of desire. Oh God, the trying God, we want you. We long to be filled with you, to thirst and to be made thirsty still. Show us your glory. We pray to you so that we may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within us. Say to our souls, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give us grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where we have wandered so long. And Father, if we don't know you, draw us by your Spirit. Jesus, we pray that as we drink of you, we will find life as you promise. And we long to see your gospel go out so that others, this world, can know of your transforming work because you are God. You are the author, the perfecter of life and faith. So, Father, go out before us. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.